So I've said this before on the show, but there was a time before I started doing this podcast where I thought I understood the world. <laughs> like I thought I understood it at such a level that it was totally reasonable for me to judge or dismiss certain viewpoints as obviously being wrong, right? Whether it be like spiritual beliefs or just value systems that were different than mine or just any aspect of how the world worked that didn't directly align with how I thought it worked. Um, and ironically, like I wouldn't, like openly ask questions or explicitly challenge the person because I was too much of a people pleaser for that. But I would have just judged them in my own head, right? I would have had this like weird arrogance to assume I understood better than other people paired with this fear of actually like engaging with them and trying to understand and see what was really there. Now, I don't know anything for sure, but the new approach I take to life definitely seems to be a better one. In the new approach, when I have a guest on like Jeannie, who I had on today, who talks about building the skill to like literally talk and communicate with animals, I'm now really open to the idea, right? Like who am I to assume that that's crazy or impossible or nonsensical? There's so much in this world that we don't understand. How could I ever assume that I know for sure or that I know better? At the same time though, I'm also much more comfortable <clears throat> to kind of humbly question the idea and try and understand it better, see what's really there. I'm not afraid to challenge and probe because I know it's not coming from a place of judgment, but rather from a place of curiosity. So that's what Jeannie and I did in this discussion. Um, you know, she started with her mission and the mission of her organization, the human-animal connection, um, with her value to change the way humanity relates to animals. She wants to help people better communicate with animals and understand that they have emotions, intentions, desires, and opinions. Because her hope is that once people do that, it's going to be much harder to mistreat the animals they interact with. And the way she drives towards this mission is by showing people that it is possible to directly communicate with an animal. And as you'll hear on the show, it's, it's kind of through almost like a telepathic connection, if you can kind of enter the right mindset. And she told stories of connections she's made with dogs, cats, sheep, donkeys, horses, uh, and a whole bunch of other animals. And although you may be skeptical, her accomplishments are pretty well documented including winning an Emmy Award for a film she created um, as a best-selling book, The Human-Animal Connection. She's provided support for over 4,000 service members and veterans um, using kind of animal therapy, which won her the President's Volunteer Service Award. And really her specialty, what, what a lot of her work is around, is helping shy and traumatized animals, mostly dogs, recover and heal through that therapy program she's developed. So if you love animals or you just love learning about a new aspect of life that maybe you didn't understand or weren't familiar with before, this is a great episode for you because um, I really enjoyed talking to Jeannie, understanding how she works with animals, how she kind of moves through the world and views the world. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. With that, let's get to the episode. All right, Jeannie, thank you so much for being here. Really, really excited to talk to you today, especially given your background. And um I will jump right in with that first question of what's the value that's most important to you? So I know that there are many people out there that love their animals, but they don't always understand the animals who share their lives. Hmm. And so our mission is to help people better understand and better communicate with animals. So there's a good two-way flow of communication. Hmm. Hmm. And like in any relationship, when you improve the communication, the relationship gets deeper. Hmm. So I'm sure you've heard this. I, I personally love animals, maybe not as much, as much as my wife and son, although maybe I do now. Maybe they've converted me. They're huge animal lovers. We have <laughs> cats, dogs, rabbits. We've had frogs. We've had, we've had it all. Right now, yeah. my son wants us to get a pig is, is what he's looking for for a pet. But 
Um, pigs so I'm are with you great. On, that's what pigs I've heard. Pigs are great. They I, are I've so smart. That. They can learn to be housebroken. I've they can that. learn their name. They can learn just about everything a dog can learn. Huh. Well, let's go on that point because I'm sure you've gotten some people that maybe are not animal lovers that say, what do you mean communicate with animals? Like, what are we talking? How are we communicating with animals? They're just animals, you know, whatever the phrase is. So yeah. fill in that blank a little bit. Like what, 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 when you say that, what do you mean by communicate with animals? Yeah. Well, I like to meet people where they are, meaning if, if their idea of communicating is simply, you know, a few words and a few gestures and a tone of voice, that's fine. If they are willing to go further and recognize that animals have emotions, then we're willing to explore what it means to communicate on an emotional level. And for those who are even willing to go further, I believe that we can have, you know, mind-to-mind -mind communication between humans and animals. So it's fine for people to let, at the most basic level, it means accurately reading body language mm -hmm. so that when your dog makes a you know turns his head to the side and looks away from you to understand what that means that that is like let's say you're petting him and he's enjoying it and all of a sudden he turns and looks away it may be that he's had enough of that touch or that place or that intensity mm -hmm. and so to simply pay attention to body language is the most basic level and to not interpret and say, oh, my dog feels guilty right now. Well, I don't know if that's true. That may or may not be true. We don't want to project our emotions. We want to really be attuned and paying attention to what they're expressing. Because a dog will communicate unless the dog realizes that you're not listening. Mm. And if you're not listening, the dog will stop alerting you. Mm. So my dog, Sophia, is a rescue, but she is a, both a therapy animal and a service animal. And if I get too stressed, she'll look at me a certain way. Now, if I'm not paying attention to that um, look, I might not realize that she's saying to me, hey, slow down, relax, chill out, babe. You know? <laughs> so if I don't, and it, but when I recognize it and I adjust, she goes, okay, she's listening. I'll give her that signal again, because it's the same thing. Like if you had a friend and you called them and they never called you back, you'd stop calling them, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the same with animals we want to acknowledge what they are communicating when they're communicating to the best of our ability and so for some people that's going to be simply at the level of of understanding and correctly reading body language for other people that's going to be recognizing that animals really pay attention to like the position of our eyebrows or the tone of our voice or the the tension in our face they they really are especially animals who share our lives are very attuned to our well-being because it's important to them <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah they, for sure it's, it's an interesting way you put it too because i think you know the general consensus and i'm sure there's I, i'm sure our brains are bigger than most animals i get that we have the ability to speak and all those things and you know you can make an argument that we're more sophisticated or advanced obviously but it's true as you say like in some ways they are more observant they are much more aware of what's going on around them they're reading things like you said eyebrows that we are not um so in some ways they are they're constantly communicating with us they're constantly engaged and in the moment and present which I think That's a lot right. of people don't think about and realize. I probably don't as much as I should. Yeah, yeah. So the, the animals are communicating all the time. They're giving and receiving information all the time. And, you know, you know how a dog can meet a person and they instantly like them or they instantly don't like them. Yeah. I mean, so maybe I'm sure that smell is a huge piece of that reaction, but I think it's more than smell because it's so um, complex and fundamental and so interesting that they have opinions about the people that they meet they say oh this is a safe person they know a dog person right mm -hmm. sophia knows exactly she goes with me everywhere so she'll go up to the person who's a dog person and she'll just go and sit and look at them and like you know go ahead love me <laughs> you know and the per people who are not dog people she's just going to walk right by not not move into their space so they have uh, a tremendous sense of of who's a good person to them 
Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I'm not saying that they have a value judgment or like good, bad, but they have a sense of this is a safe person. This is a person that likes to interact, that wants to interact. I'm going to go sniff this person a little more. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, all right. So let's rewind for you personally. I mean, what's the, what, why, why is this so important to you? Why have you dedicated so much of your life to this? I mean, there's some obvious reasons. I think the benefits that your organization is putting forth, obviously, but if you, if you go all the way back to like the root of it, what was it? Did you just always love animals and you always wanted to do something with them or how, how'd you get to this point? Well, I grew up in New York City, so I didn't have animals. You know, I didn't have that. It wasn't until later in life. But I had a, a cat that I absolutely loved that had been a rescue from New York City, actually. And um, I was very attached to her. And she was about 16. And it was getting to the point where, you know, the vet was saying, you know, it's time. And I really wanted to make the right decision. And I really wanted to listen and hear if I could hear what was right for this cat. Does this cat want euthanasia? Does this cat want to go on its own? And so I really began getting peaceful and really begin to listen. And my cat, whose name was Wolfie, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Yeah. And he told me, he told me the day he was going to leave. He told me I'm going to leave between three and four, uh, th uh, I think it was midnight. It was, he gave me a two hour window when he was going to leave. And he left at exactly that time on that day. And that was really important to me to feel like I had made the right decision for, for us. You know, I'm not, I, I think the youth, euthanasia is very appropriate when an animal is suffering and when it's time, but I won't, I wasn't sure if it was, if, if he was suffering and if it was really the right time. You know, there was just a lot of questions as there always is at that very painful time. And being able to hear that and make what I felt was a mutual decision changed my whole life. I said, all right, that's it. I just want to really learn this. And I had no idea how to do it or, you know, if I could learn to do it, but I just said, this is it. This is what I'm going to dedicate my life to. Wow. Well, let me ask, right. And I'll ask these questions and you understand when, when you say that he told you, was it like, what, what did that look like? How, how did he tell you? Yeah. Yeah. Good, good question. Yeah. So um, I am a believer in the possibility of telepathic communication, which is mind to mind. And what that means is you have to have a peaceful mind. If you're chattering in your mind that, oh, I want to know the answer or give me the answer. You're not going to be able to hear because you have too much data going out. So you have to learn how to get your your mind like in a meditative state a peaceful state a calm state a present state mm -hmm. and from that point of view you can begin to then receive and what i notice is that i know what my thoughts feel like you know what i mean when i start running a whole thing you know i can go mm -hmm. you know it can be the end of the world in a second in my thoughts right um that feels different from the way animals talk to me so it's almost like a frequency if you would think of a radio dial as having different frequencies you know different stations are tuned to different frequencies there's a tuning to animals and even more subtly than that there's a tuning to horses versus dogs and even more subtly there's one horse versus another horse you get to know i'm working with a group of rescue horses and each one talks to me a little bit differently so that helps me know who's sending me the message because they uh -huh. just just like with people like we have a different pace or a different syntax or a different some us use big words and some of us are real simple you know so it's the same thing with animals they have different ways that they communicate and that's very compelling because if i was making it up i wouldn't have all those different styles for all those different horses that i'm receiving mm -hmm. you know the, the first thing that comes to mind as you're saying it is I, i've interviewed obviously a lot of people on this show and all different types of people from all different backgrounds a lot of times um it's people that are very spiritual or religious there's a very strong component of that to it, of people that feel, I've also interviewed some mediums who, who speak to, you know, spirits and things like that. But that whole idea of like clearing your mind, whether it be through meditation, centering yourself and being present, 
you know, maybe everybody has different abilities and gifts. Maybe it's, I don't know, you know, who knows who's to say exactly what it is, but there's something to that idea where you were before of like, if you open yourself up to receiving the, the universe is a pretty vast, amazing place. We know there's lots of frequencies and things moving about. We know there's tons of things we have no idea about and can't understand, but that consistent theme of if you, if you find a way to silence yourself and just be there and listen, things will come in. What those things are. Sometimes people hear things spiritually, sometimes maybe from animals, but that theme, it resonates very strongly with me with other people that I've spoken to. Is that, does that land for you? Does that seem exactly. similar? Exactly. That's yeah. exactly it. You know, like, um, uh, oh, I just spaced out what I was going to say to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, it's, it's funny because the other direction to go with that is, um, which I'm sure perhaps you've heard is, is like, you know, probably a lot of people are familiar with like the Dr. Doolittle movies and those types oh, of things. Oh yeah, you're right. That's what I was going to tell you. It's like you yeah. some people, some people will have moments of intuition, like flashes of intuition yeah. or gut yeah. feeling. Like they just have a gut feeling that, you know, maybe their friend's in trouble and they call them and they're right, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so it's that same thing, but this is more methodical. Like I don't have to wait for an emergency or a bad situation to get that information. I can simply choose to sit down I've built a pathway in my brain where I, that channel is now open. So now I can open that channel pretty much not 100% of the time because sometimes I'll want to and I'm too busy in my mind and I can't hear clearly. That'll happen. Or sometimes the animal's like, what, you talking to me? You know? <laughs> They're like, nobody's ever talked to me before. You know, that's often like in the shelter when I volunteer in the shelter and I meet a dog that's had no you know, human connection of that level. And they're like, you know, so surprised. You're talking to me, literally, is like the first thing, almost, not literally, but, yeah, you know. Yeah. So um, some animals are more adept at communication, but they learn very quickly. Once they get get it that this is what, this channel is open, it, it doesn't take them more than a couple of times, usually, to get it, to, to be able to use that mm. method. Mm. Well, I was going to say, like, you know, if, I'm sure you've probably seen it, maybe the, the Dr. Doolittle movies and there's other movies where, where animals speak. Um, is it like, is it in that vein? Like, are you having a conversation? Is it literally in that way in which you you can full on, you know, have conversation with them and understand how they're feeling in that moment, what they're looking for, what they need, that type of thing? Sometimes. So, again, the same thing with the different animals being different. So some animals will dialogue just as you and I are right now, where I ask you a question or you ask me a question, you answer it, we go back and forth. That's absolutely possible. So I experienced that. But other times they have their own ways and um, they will surprise me. You know what I mean? Like it's not about me asking a question. They have something else they want to talk about, you know, or or they have some other thing that they think is important. You know what I mean? So it's not uh, if one does not have an agenda, it is very likely to have a conversation. If you have an agenda, the chances go down. I mean, it isn't to say that I, you know, people will say, ask my horse what he likes, you know, if he likes this treat or whatever. I had this, I was having this one conversation with this horse, literally a conversation like we're talking. And um, he was an amazing horse. He was a 40 year old horse, which is rare. You know, mm -hmm. the, the people are take excellent care, all holistic care, the best food, all this other stuff. So he was, he was showing me the spiritual he was showing me how he works energetically, how he works like literally with the magnetic lines of the earth. And that sometimes when he stands this way or he stands that way, it's not arbitrary. He's doing work. He's And, and sometimes he'll position himself like at a 90 degree angle with another horse or right next to another horse. And again, that this was purposeful. And he was showing me, he literally took me to like the max that I could comprehend, you know, in terms of what he was showing me about how he I worked with energy and movement and position relative to the earth. I mean, it was so sophisticated. So he took me on this, like absolutely expanded my 
concepts beyond to the limit of what I could experience. And at the end, I always, you know, clients, I will say, is there anything you would like your humans to know? And he says, I would like more treats. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he went from like this, like, you know, Zen Buddhist experience to I want more treats, you know, <laughs> and I said, and they said, oh, we give him treats, but he wanted more, you know, and so it's like, that was such an interesting experience. To, it was a teaching thing for me because it showed me instead of thinking of a horse as being high or low in consciousness, that they have levels of consciousness they can be on at different times. Mm. And it's the same. I've seen that with a lot of animals that some animals will really give you these very profound spiritual rides, you know, almost like they're teaching us. And other times it's like, I want more ice cream. <laughs> Like you people, know, for that matter, yeah. people are the same way, right? Exactly. So that was very helpful to me to get off of this idea of thinking that some animals are very evolved and others are not so evolved. And, you know, that kind of dichotomy, yep. human, very human way of thinking. So it was quite a good lesson for me. So sometimes, like that horse whose name was Blue, it's not like he necessarily wants to answer questions per se, but he has... And he will only talk to me if I'm in a, at the height of my capacity for peace and presence. Like if I'm a little distracted, he's not interested. He's not just, it's like I have to really tune up to talk to him. Other mm -hmm. animals, they'll just, they'll just talk to you walking by on the street. You know what I mean? They'll just tell me, you know, I don't like the way my owner is doing that. You know, they'll tell me something, you know, <laughs> they just throw something out. So it's, it's kind of like humans in that way and yeah. that it's unpredictable and it's unique. You know, the way the way a cat talks is different from the way a dog talks, dog different talks, from the yeah. way a sheep talks. Huh. I mean, what what was it like? I mean, I know you told the story of your cat, but when you realize this, I mean, there had to be a part of you that was like, I I'm losing my mind. Like, this is crazy. Like, something's wrong here or whatever. There's got to be some explanation for this. I would imagine. Like, what, how, how did you come to grips with the idea of what it actually was? Well, first, it was slow. You know, mm -hmm. so it wasn't like all at once. And I think that helped me take the time to get used to it. I never thought it was crazy, but what that what I do have and what I find when I help people learn this, the biggest obstacle is self-doubt, the belief that you can't do it or that you're not really hearing or that you're making it up. And so that takes time to really prove it to yourself by, you know, working with with um owners who can say, yeah, that's so true. Or, you know, how would you know that? Or, you know, something that is really confirming and you get a confirmation and confirmation and confirmation, you get a bunch of them and then you go, okay, maybe this is true. So I, you know, there are days that I doubt, you know, you know, somebody will ask me something and I can't hear it or, you know, or I can't connect with that animal. I, it isn't always a hundred percent like anything else that's you know if i if you ask me to communicate with you sometimes it'll go well sometimes maybe we'll misunderstand each other so uh it it's a it's a it's an art more than a science and what about reactions from whatever it might be friends family is it was there especially when you first started doing this do people did people understand it did they get it were people put off by it how did that how did that you know play? i don't i don't i'm surprised that we're even talking about it because i don't usually talk about it <laughs> you know i mean i sort of like you asked me so i told you but <laughs> i don't talk about it unless i know that they're open you know because i don't want to subject myself necessarily to people thinking i'm crazy which is yeah. certainly possible yeah. um but the rewards of doing it are so great that it's like well let the doubters doubt i'm just gonna yeah. you know have this because it's such a rich world. I mean, the, sometimes the things that that they share with us are are so fun and so interesting how they perceive things, you know, because they're perceiving things through their senses. We perceive things very much through our mind. 
you know, for the, through the thinking. So it's not to say that they don't think as they do. It's not that animals are always in present time because they're not. They can worry about the future or think about the past. So, you know, that's an illusion that they're always in the present. They're not always, but they're mostly mm -hmm. in the present. And they're able to get back to the present a lot more easier so they can let go of something. So if you accidentally step on your dog's foot and you go, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the dog's over it in a second, right? Yeah. It's like, whereas with a person, you step on their foot if not literally but figuratively you know it could take a while well why did you do that we have to discuss this and what do you mm -hmm. mean and mm -hmm. did you disrespect me and don't you care about me if you cared about me you wouldn't step on my foot da, 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 da. right mm -hmm. so that's what happens in the human world and in the animal world is you stepped on my foot you're nice now you gave me a treat we're fine we're good, we're good now huh. <laughs> we're back into the moment you know what i mean so that's their one of their gifts is because they have less and i don't want to say no because they think but they have less of the uh, thinking so they can be more in the moment. It's more what they feel. It's more what they're feeling. Yeah, more in the feeling. Wow. You know, wow. like what's happening right now, you know? Huh. All right, so maybe, maybe last question on this thread. I said we may get philosophical. As you try and make sense of it at the grand scheme of things, we touched on it a little bit before with the spirituality point in religion, but how, how do you think about that? Do you, do you think, um, well, let me leave it open. Like, how, how do you make sense of it? Do you think anybody's capable of this? How, how do you how do you think about the fact that you can communicate with animals in this way? Does it does it tell you anything about the universe, about the world, about why all of this is what it is? Yeah, <laughs> that's a whole lot of questions. So let yeah, me start with the first the first one. I think anybody with a sincere desire, a willingness to practice the discipline to do the work, can learn it. Um, some people are going to be better than others. Some people just wake up doing it one day and it's like, I don't know why they just all of a sudden they can communicate. So there's a whole range, but it isn't like something special. It isn't like Leonardo da Vinci can paint and, you know, not everyone can paint like Leonardo. Right. So um, it, the potential for anyone who truly desires it is there. And what has taught me about the universe is that consciousness is real. In other words, that, that um, communication, intelligence, intention translates physical space it translates time meaning i can i can communicate with animals who've passed i can communicate with animals who aren't in my presence so it's taught me that consciousness is this vast open unexplored universe do you know what i mean it's the final frontier mm -hmm. is consciousness so that's true for humans and for animals but with animals it's, it's pretty easy because they they are in that zone like you know you if you have you have a, i think you said you have a cat you have a cat two, two cats a dog two a cats rabbit. yeah so you know how the cat is just like looking at something that you can't see and yeah. like they're like really attuned to something well there's yeah. something they're seeing right? wow. so well, yeah con i was gonna say now, now you're, you're very much speaking my language and my frequency so uh, to, to just press on that a little bit how do you make sense like now we're going real philosophical. That consciousness, what 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 is that? Is is there is there an intention to it? Like why why is it there? What is it trying to do? Or is it just it's just there and we just are with it and it is what it is? Is there a greater purpose to it, you think? Yes. Well, I go back and forth on this. So it depends on the day you ask me. So some days I feel like it has intentionality, which might imply directionality, like as in forward growth. But other days, I'm not certain that that's true. So I, you know, call me in a few years, maybe. I don't know. I don't know the definitive answer. So it's interesting. Let's put it this way. When I'm in the frame of mind where I think that consciousness is intentional and good, it's a very pleasing day hmm. because it feels good to tune into that energy, that specific energy of forward, forward, not in, in, in a very grand sense of forward, meaning growth, right? So that it has momentum, it has purpose, it has direction, um, 
intentionality, I guess, is, you know, what the, the word I use for it is goodness. And that's in my the book. Word I used I wrote, too. That's funny. Yeah, I wrote a book called The Human Animal Connection. The first principle is the power of goodness mm. and goodness medicine. So the notion of it being fundamentally good. Now, that doesn't deny that there is bad in the world because there is. There is bad. I'm not one of these people that thinks that it's all good or something. You know, I mean, there's there's uh, good and bad exist together. You can't have good without bad. So they serve each other. But the notion that consciousness has uh, intentionality in the sense of goodness is a very powerful experience. Can I say for sure that's true? No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> On a bad day, I just think it's all random. You know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, know it just exactly depends. Yeah, I know exactly what you, you know mean. What I, I mean. feel very similarly. I feel very, very similarly. Well, bringing it back to your life, how, how do you think about it for you? I mean, obviously the work you're doing is amazing. And, and I mentioned in the intro, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about it, but what is, um, what is it for you? Like what, what's, what's the drive towards what, what's the ultimate goal for you within your life? Is it just to do this day by day? And if you're doing this every day, you feel good. Or is there like, is there an outcome? Is there something you'd like to see or achieve through this that, that you're working towards? Well, our mission is to revolutionize the way people, humanity relates to animals. So if, if you have the point of view that animals have emotions, feelings, thoughts, and consciousness, then it's not so easy to mistreat them because it changes. If this animal, you, you know, we, sometimes not myself, but another animal communicator who's talked with elephants in the wild that are being losing their land and, and the elephants are very philosophical about it. Like they understand it. Do you know what I mean? They understand that they're being destroyed. So uh, I keep losing my train of thought because we're on such high levels here, but, uh, what was it's kind of what, what what you're working towards? You know, you, you oh, mentioned my, the organization's mission was to, yeah, to build that. Yeah, so we so they won't mistreat the, animals as much. Yeah, you know, like I'd like to revolutionize the shelter system based upon this, this philosophy because putting animals in solitary confinement is not hum, humane. You know, and it's important. Shelters do the best they can, and they save dogs from dying. So I'm not. I'm, this is not an attack on shelters, yeah, but I'd yeah. like the whole system. If if humans said, "Hey, that's not the right way for animals even to be in a shelter. We need to have, you know, small groups of animals together, two and three, in packs of animals rather than singles. You know, some animals need singles, but if we could really evaluate what their needs are rather than just putting them in a cell block, you know, where mm -hmm. they have no choice and no freedom and their senses are overstimulated. They're getting just too much sensation, too much smell, too much sound, too much vision of things crossing their path and they can't do anything about it. So it, it, the shelter system is really, that's why when you get, when you're, and I want people to rescue dogs from shelters, but some of them have been, you know, traumatized by the experience in the shelter. So we have a whole system for how to, work with that trauma and how to reverse it. And we're mm. pretty good at it. It's interesting. So we have a rescue dog. Um, the, the story we've heard, obviously I wasn't there, but is that um, she lived on the street for, for at least a year or, or I think six months to begin her life. And um, when we brought her home, we, we originally got a crate because we thought, well, that's what you do. It's the first dog we had. And she hated that crate. She would cry in it. She would to eventually to the point she figured out a way to break out of the crate. Yeah. And at that point, I said to my wife and my son, I said, well, she clearly, she's earned her way. She does not want to be in that crate. We're not going to, she, and she never went in the crate again. We got rid of it and she's totally right. happy. And I bring up that story just because I think like, that's an example where if I, if had I been able to realize that sooner, there was probably some messaging coming from her that was pretty clear that was saying, you know, I don't like being confined. I don't want to be in this space. Some, maybe it was her time in the street. Maybe it was something else. But to me, that's an illustration. As you're saying, like, that's a living thing who's potentially suffering. 
And then right. we're making her life worse because we're saying, well, this is what you do with a dog. You just put it in a right. crate. Somebody you told it, you, you know? put them in a crate, you know, yeah. take them home, put them in a crate, you know, and there's a place for a crate, but not the way that you were using it. So um, I'm not anti-crate. It's just that we have to be able to read the dog and say, is the dog happy in the crate, feeling right. safe in the crate? Or is a dog suffering in the crate? Get him out of the crate. <laughs> so well, it's, it's funny too, Jean, because I was going to say before, like, I'm not naive enough to think this isn't true, but you, you've mentioned a couple of times, like, to, for the people that believe or understand that animals have emotions. And that seems like such an interesting statement. Like to think that some people think they don't is kind of crazy. If you really think I about know. it, right? Like that's, that's a strange thing because how could they not? Like they're living beings. We, we can see that they can suffer. We can see when they're happy, but do you find that a lot? Do you find there's a lot of people out there that don't believe that's true? That just don't think animals actually have emotions. Well, of course, the people that are drawn to me are the people that are interested in this work. So I'm meeting a lot of people who believe that animals have emotion. But as far as the out, the rest of the world, <laughs> you know, I think that's that's a pretty big idea. That's a pretty big, um, you know. But th what's interesting is the science. There's now we have science now to back it up. Whereas 20 years ago, if I made that statement, animals have emotions, you'd say, oh, she's crazy, whatever. It you know, like, maybe really? not you, but some wow. people would. Right. So what's been exciting in the last 10 and 20 years is there's the volume of research that um, proves, I would say proves, that animals have emotions. So one example is uh, Dr. Gregory Burns, and he trained his dog to go into an MRI, fMRI machine, those big things uh, that yep, yep. we hate, right, to be calm in there with the earplugs and so on. And they were trained to do that, took a long time to train them, but they would go in and they were able to map the emotional responses and that not only were they able to map emotional responses, but in the same places that humans have, like where we have anger activation, where we have joy activation, they, they could see the same mapping of emotions in awake dogs. So it's the first time we've been able to do experiments on awake dogs, brain experiments on yeah. awake dogs and in a, in a way that's kind to them. So they get treats and everything. And so it, so the fMRI showed that dogs have emotional responses to specific stimuli, and it's the very same way that our brains are mapped. Like where we have anger, they have anger. Where they have fear, we have fear. Where they have joy, we have joy. And so when people say, how can animals have emotions? They forget we are animals. Yes, yes. And our emotions come from the same places that you know the animals come from. I mean, it's the same system the same nervous system the same brain i mean obviously there are differences but but that is you know this is part of that misunderstanding to think that humans are some superior species well we're superior in some ways but we're inferior in other ways like if you look at our nose you know if we can smell a cheeseburger but a dog can smell the bun the hamburger, the mustard, the lettuce, the person who made the cheese, you know, who packaged it, who wrapped it up, you know, they can, they can smell all of that. So we could, if we use the nose as the indicator of intelligence, we'd be idiots. We'd be morons, right? right. We're not, right? So each of the animals have different sensory systems that define their world. And it's really important. This is one of my missions is to help at least if people will say my dog has emotions and they're not going to ignore that crate, you know, that kicking the crate and trying to get out of the crate yeah. like you did. You recognize it said, you know what? I think this animal deserves to be out, wants to be out, and I'm going to support that. Yeah. And that's, you know, beautiful. That's a beautiful yeah. thing. Yeah, it, it, it makes me wonder, like, what, what does it say about, again, philosophically, what does it say about humanity? that such a large portion of us have that view of animals don't have emotions or because to me it makes me this is going to seem like a random connection maybe but i see the way in which some people humanity treats animals similar to how we act in cars with like road rage and social media as soon as there's like the ability to 
mistreat something because it's not there's no like immediate um, consequence to it, right? You could put your dog in a crate, it could cry, you leave to go to work and who cares? That's not my problem anymore. I could do that, right? When you're in a car and you're driving and somebody's driving too slow, we're so quick to honk and yell because there's no immediate reaction or consequence to it. To me, or maybe it says something about human nature that's maybe one of the ugly parts of us, right? Like, have you thought about that at all? All the work you've done, I'm sure you've seen some ugly things. Like, does it teach us something about humanity and ways in which we can be better and, and at times in which we exploit these situations where we have power over something else? Right. Absolutely. Well, as soon as we put something as other, we're going to mistreat it, right? Or as soon as we don't understand something, we're going to be afraid of it. And as soon as we're afraid of it, then we're going to make it bad and wrong and protect ourselves and go into that whole territoriality, you know, of them over there, keep those immigrants out or whatever it is, right? Yeah, yeah. it's like the same <laughs> you know, muscle. So it's like that same muscle in the brain of... um I guess it's in some ways tribalism, right? Like worrying about ourselves and protecting ourselves. If we can isolate anything as differently, we're going to treat it however we see fit. Um, and that one with the animals, as you said, with emotions is maybe one of the most blatant to me because it just seems so obvious that they would have feelings, that they do have things that that drive them and push them. Um, so that's that's one where I it makes you scratch your head, at least me, to think that that people think that way. Yeah. Well, we have a, a program called Canines Teach Compassion, which is our mm -hmm. high school program. And we bring the therapy dogs into the classroom. And this is rather than saying, oh, be nice to your friend or be nice to the person whose skin is a different color from yours. That's not going to work. But if I bring in a black dog and a white dog and a brown dog and, you know, all different sizes and shapes and we ask the kids what's what's different. And they say, well, all the, they can cite all the differences. What's the same? They're all dogs. Right. Well, and then let's go deeper. What's they're all good dogs. Okay. What is it? What does that mean about you and your friends and people around you? So we use the dogs to help them break through some of that otherness, that sense of, you know, and also for themselves, many high school students feel like they're the only one in the universe, like no one else is like them. And what's so exciting with the therapy dogs, we had this one uh, boy in this class and he was you know, 13, he was very young looking, like he didn't look like he even belonged in high school and very isolated, didn't talk hardly, no one ever heard him talk. And we had this bull mastiff, 130 pound dog, which weighed more than he did. And therapy dogs are not allowed to lick people. It's not what's allowed, right? So this dog never licked people, would go to hospitals and everything. So this dog picked this boy, had said hello to everyone, went over to this boy and licked him huh. and licked him. And licked him and licked him. And it was so funny, you know, because he had seen him behave, this dog, her, her, her name was Shadow, actually, behave well with everyone. But she just decided this was her boy, you know, and everyone laughed and everyone loved it. And he started talking. You couldn't shut him up after that. He just like it was like something the floodgates opened on his mouth because <laughs> this dog had licked him open. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like to be chosen by a dog is so powerful or any animal, but, but to, cause they see your essence. They don't see what your hair color is or how much money you have or what car you drive. They just are relating to your essence. To, so to be seen for who you really are is a powerful transformative and healing experience. And we don't get it in real life. Like, you know, all that highway mall traffic, you know, we mm -hmm. coming and going, we're crossing paths and smashing into each other, but we're not really connecting. And what the animals show us is how to connect Well, what it feels like to connect. And it's so beautiful. Why would you want to do anything else? <laughs> yeah. There's such a purity to it, too, as, as you're saying it. That's the That's word right. that comes to mind for me. That connection is so pure. Like we said before, it's in the moment often, right? It's right there. But it's just it's not clouded. And, and maybe it is right. I don't know if you've seen this in, in, in the work you've done, but like I would imagine it's less clouded, at least by biases and all these other things that ego that goes on in our mind, right? Like when you're with it, it's just that it's just what it is and what you see. 
And I think that attraction to that, again, tells us something like, I think we do need that. We deeply need that as humans, you know, more of that type of thing. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Like we, we do this work with a donkey. We, we have a workshop called on donkey time. And it's all about teaching the humans how to get really peaceful because the donkey's only interested in you if you're in a calm place. This, oh. So people, donkeys get a bad rep. They think they're stupid and stubborn. What they're really, they are so smart. And what they're smart about is self-preservation. So they always move towards what's good, what feels good and what feels safe. And they will avoid what is unsafe or stressful. Oh. And so when you get peaceful, it's like instant biofeedback, because if you're not peaceful, the donkey will ignore you. And if you get peaceful, the donkey comes right up to you. And the more peaceful you get, the more he comes into your space and just wants to be a part of your aura, your energy field, you know. And so it's it's a fabulous way to learn how peaceful am I in this moment? Because if I'm not peaceful, the donkey's going to ignore me. Mm. So I bring different people in to meet this donkey and this donkey reacts completely differently to different people. Mm. And it has nothing to do with male, female, or tall, or fat, or anything. It's just like their essence. He is so interested in some people. And the people that he's interested in there are the peaceful people. Uh, uh. Have you had the chance to work with animals like in the wild at all? Uh, or even in captivity, I guess. But but animal, you know, I'm thinking of some just like a grizzly bear, a gorilla. Animals that people typically think of as like, well, they're dangerous. And, they'll, and I, I know they are, right? Everything's dangerous, can be dangerous in its own way. Yeah. But have you yeah. worked with any of those types of animals at all? Uh, you know, that's a dream. I yeah. haven't had it except the wild birds and wild rabbits in my yard. So I, when I was in my training to do this work, I was working with a wild rabbit. And I had to be so peaceful, including not moving my eyes. Like if I move my eyes, the rabbit would leave. But if I got absolutely like a statue still peaceful, not only with my body, but my mind, the rabbit would sit and eat near me about 10 feet but if i wasn't peaceful the rabbit would just dart oh. and so that really helped me so i look forward to having more opportunities like that i don't want to impose i don't want to use wild animals for my training but when they sure. when i have that opportunity like with birds or or with rabbits or i take them and one time we went my dog sophia and i she's a rescue she was a wild feral animal. She used to scare grown men when I first got her. She was really scary, 25 pounds, and she would scare them. I was going to show you a picture. but um, So we went to visit the zoo, and there was this tiger. You know, tiger, tigers and zoos, not a good combination, right? Mm -hmm. So this tiger would pace and pace and pace and pace. So they had this glass partition. You could sit on the other side of the glass, and this tiger would just pace and pace. So Sophia and I sat right next to the glass with this tiger. And we were doing this energy work, what I call invisible touch, where we touch without hands. And we got very, very peaceful. This tiger sat with us for 25 minutes, just fascinated by us. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's what I was curious of, because so I'll, I'll ask this question. My son would, would kill me if I didn't. He, he has this belief and he's nine. So he's, but my wife is, is 40 and she also has this belief. Like they, she has a deep belief that like if she came in contact with an animal in the wild, like it would just sense that she was an animal person and it wouldn't bring danger to her. Now, I'm sure there's a ton of different variables that go to that. But as you think about instances where people do have bad interactions in the wild with, you know, all different types of animals, is it like, do you think if we can eventually get to a place where people can have those interactions and at least understand better and be aware of what's going on? Or like, do you think there will always be this, this, this gap between us and this fear of, of animals in the wild, right? If I'm walking, taking a hike somewhere and a bear crosses my path, well, I, I should and will always be terrified. Or do you think there's a day in the future where it's there's more of an understanding between us? It sounds weird to say, but it's... 
Yeah. Well, I mean, like if you look at Native, you know, Native Americans, you know, who had the belief that animals are our brothers and even that rattlesnakes are our brothers. Mm. Um, there's a man named J. Allen Boone. You should read his book called Kindred Spirits. Have you ever mm. heard of him? He was a no. relative of Daniel Boone. He, in 1956, he published this book. It was so far ahead of its time. I mean, it's revolutionary today. And he um, talks, he had some Native American friends and they told him that Native Americans rarely got bit by rattlesnakes. It was very, very rare. But white men thought that they were dangerous and, you know, that they needed to be killed. And so they got bit a lot. So that fear and that predatory nature um, made them more vulnerable to rattlesnakes. Now, I'm afraid of rattlesnakes. I don't think I'm at a level that I could be peaceful if a rattlesnake was near me. So I don't want to test that. You know what sure. I mean? Like, I, you know, there is animals are wild. You know, they they have a wild nature and that can emerge when, you know, when you're not expecting it or something, you know, so I, I don't think we should be unaware of that. You know, we should respect that, that that we're not we shouldn't be entering into their world without right. peaceful thoughts and stuff. But we certainly can get to the point where we can have a more harmonious relationship with the animal kingdom. Mm. And I, you know, I know one of my board members, for example, he's had positive interactions with rattlesnakes, getting peaceful and helping them when they were stuck and trapped and freeing them and the snake turning around. He felt like the snake thanked him, you know, turned back and looked after he was leaving and turned back and looked and continued. You know, so I, I couldn't do that because I have, you know, some fear of snakes, yeah, not yeah. terror, but. You know, but I'm not it, comfortable. <laughs> based on what you're saying, there's probably like a, a reciprocity to that or even a self-fulfilling nature where that snake might recognize, like, oh, I can tell you're afraid and there's some, you know, there's a right. barrier there, I guess, to where you were before, right. that peaceful state. Yeah. 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 Like when I go into the shelter and there's a dog that's highly reactive and stuff, if I let my fear get tangled up in his fear, we're going to have a fearful experience. He's mm -hmm. going to scare me. I'm going to be fearful for him. But if I get peaceful... That, that interaction is most likely going to change. So I've worked with dogs that are pretty, you know, traumatized and been able to reverse that experience for them and for me so that we have this very beautiful encounter. I worked mm. with this one dog in a shelter that had to be in a special area. Nobody could enter. He had bitten three shelter workers. He was going to be euthanized. I worked with him for six weeks. He completely turned around and became a sweet dog and got adopted. Just in that example, like, did you identify like, what the issue was? Was it a specific yeah. trauma? Yeah. Specific yeah. trauma that it had, or something. Yeah, in this case, he had been um, uh, uh, hit by a. He had been in auto. You know, he'd been hit by a car. So he had spent too long in the shelter at too young an age, and he actually missed some of his puppy experience. So I did what this the technique I call repuppying, where we do some things that kind of mimic puppies. I would be like we would puppy together, and um, I would get down on the ground with him, and you know. We would cuddle and because puppies do a lot of contact where they touch and then they release and then they touch and then release. So there's this kind of light pressure of body contact and then it's changes because they're playing. And so it's this uh, alternation. I'm very interested in alternation of stimulation, relaxation, alternation of touch, non touch, alternation of smell, not smell, hear, not hear, see, not see. This re helps reset the brain. So mm. this releases the trauma response because the trauma is the stuck response. It's like the brain gets stuck on flight, fright, or fight, or freeze. But if you can uh, soften that, then the brain can make new choices based on the present. So did a lot of repuppying with him, and that really turned him around. Wow. I have to say, Jeannie, like it's fascinating. And obviously the work you're doing very much in the in the purest form of, of helping animals, helping people connect with animals, and even benefiting people is, is amazing. 
but I, I can't get away from this concept of this thread or theme of like, it's the open-mindedness. It's the open-mindedness and the humility, frankly, to accept that things aren't exactly as we think they are. And again, I'll go back to where I was before, whether that be your connection with animals or spirituality or whatever it might be, this openness to say, there's more to it than I can see and understand. There's so right. much benefit to having that mindset and allowing that in. And I think that's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, I, I want to ask a couple, I normally don't do this, but just given the topic, I, I find it super interesting as we come towards the end here. I'm curious, just, I, I won't call them rapid fired questions, but like, um, one, do you have a favorite animal? Is there a favorite animal that you've just liked interacting with? So I'll start with that one. Then I have a couple others in that vein, because I'm just really curious. It's kind of like you opened a door to a whole new world in a little bit. So I, I find myself like a kid, just very curious about it. But yeah, which yeah. what's your favorite that you've I can't with? pick a one, but I can I can pick my five. Okay, I'll take five. <laughs> okay. So um dogs, cats, donkeys, horses, chickens, pigs. That oh, one was six. You went six. And sheep. I'm not surprised. And sheep, we got seven. And yeah. is that um as you think about that, is that rooted in like specific personality traits or things that you've identified in them just based on the work you do? Experiences that I've had with them that would, were life changing. You yeah. know, like one of my most profound experiences was with the sheep. Uh, uh. <laughs> you know, like it was a life healing, like as if you met the Buddha, yeah. it was a Buddha in the sheep body, you know. Uh, so uh. that just like made me like, oh my God. I mean, you know, I haven't had that many interactions with sheep, but that was just like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what's the biggest surprise you've had of a particular animal where you thought like the general consensus view or, or view of an animal is this, but you've realized like, actually they're very different than we perceive them to be. Well, that would, the donkey wins that category donkey because there's so much prejudice about donkeys and so much misunderstanding about donkeys. And, um, you know, we're working with one that we're training to be a therapy donkey. So he's in a, you know, a very special donkey and not all donkeys are, have, you know, this sensitivity, but just like people. Right. But, but the level of precision of his awareness is like so profound, you know, it is so precise. I mean, it is like, there isn't a biofeedback device that's as accurate as this donkey in terms uh -huh. of his ability to really read. And when we do the, this work, this energy work with the donkey, all the other horses and all the others, you know, it's a, it's a barn, you know, they all hang out and just watch, you mm -hmm. know, and that really tells me there's something going on because not just the animal that I'm working with consciously, but the whole field shifts. I mean, the birds change. Do you know what I mean? We're not even working with the birds, but when we get peaceful, the whole energy fields changes. Now the humans sometimes get nutty, you know, when we get peaceful because what happens when you bring up peace is people's unpeace comes up. And so sometimes it's worse before it gets better. Mm, mm, <laughs> it's like yeah. a detox kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any animals that you would say are just, um, I don't want to say bad animals. That's a, that's a funny term, but is there any animals you come across with that? That animal is just, oof, there's something bad, evil, I don't, evil. Again, these aren't the right words, but any animals where you would generalize and say, there's just something in them that it's just not a good connection. It's just not meant for humans to interact with them. No, but there are some animals that are outside my personal capacity. So for okay. example, like I said, because I don't love snakes, I don't necessarily have good experiences, right? But the next person next to me who loves snakes has wonderful experiences with them. Mm. So it's just the limits of my own perception. No animals that have seemingly, again, words fail us, but like hate in their hearts, where you'd say that animal is just like a hateful animal in any way. You haven't come across that. Not really, but I mean, it's like I'm reading this book right now and I'm like, things that I'm not interested in, spiders and snakes and understanding their the, the way they the vision, you know, on some of these spiders or, you know, it's like, oh my God, like it's things that have 
eyes like the starfish has eyes on all its feet or you know or they could taste with their feet you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> different things that different perceptions you realize oh my god you know every animal has their gifts and there's that open-mindedness again that's the ability yeah. like that recognition of like wow it's just there's there's so much more than we think is there as you said before right, right? it's as you, the beautiful example you gave was the dog where it's easy oh stupid dog right the things right. that dog could do with its nose we i take my dog sometimes to walk in the trails and yeah. me and my son just imagine like i wonder what she's smelling right now as she's walking like the whole universe to her we laugh and joke about it that it's like us watching a tv show the entertainment right. she must get of just smelling all these different things and the exactly. sophistication of it at the same time is really amazing when you think about it it is and you know i really encourage people you know that there was some old school thinking says that you're, when you go on a walk, you, you shouldn't let your dog stop and sniff because you should dominate the walk. That mm -hmm. is nuts. That is wrong. Um, because what a dog is doing when they're sniffing, they're literally resetting their entire system. It's like a chiropractic adjustment. Huh. You know, they're resetting their whole system. They're getting so much data, you know, even from another dog's poop. They can tell, you know, who that was and if they're healthy, what they ate. You know, they get so much information with us. It's just poop, right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Jeannie, this is um this is fascinating. This is one of the most interesting conversations I had. I mean, I love animals, so it's it's right in my wheelhouse. But oh. to get to learn about something new and just that perspective that you bring to it, and I'm glad you shared what you shared because I think it's super interesting and I think the work you're doing is amazing. So I thank you a ton for being on and and for doing what you're doing. Well, thank you so much, and I just want to invite people to get my book, The Human Animal Connection, and it's available on Amazon. So it explains the 33 principles that all this work is based on, and it has awesome. a workbook so you can practice. So if you want to learn the animal communication, you can. I think yeah. I will do that, actually, and I'll put <laughs> yeah. links to that. As I said, it will be in there. So if people that want to learn more, definitely check it out. Well, Jeannie, I hope you have an awesome rest of your day, and uh, thank you again for being on. Thank you for having us. All right. Hey, thanks a ton for listening to the episode. Um, I really do appreciate everybody that listens. And I think it's super cool that people want to hear conversations like this. They want to hear us talk about values and different perspectives and really just philosophical thinking. Um, I'm kind of on this mission or journey to bring philosophy back to the forefront, maybe even make philosophy cool again, because I just think there's so much value in thinking about our thinking, questioning and challenging ourselves more, pondering these big picture questions about life. Um, so in that spirit, I'm trying to expand that mission a little bit, and I created a Patreon account um, that would be awesome if you check out. I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, it's pretty simple, though. It's patreon.com slash what's the value. And the idea is for people that maybe want to learn more about philosophy, dip their toe in it a little bit, or maybe you already love it and just want to get more of it, um, check it out because there's kind of a tier for everybody, whether you just want to get like a quick philosophical video or a thought of the day. Um, maybe you want to email or text me some questions and get some thoughtful philosophical responses. Or if you want to have a live one-on-one -on -one chat over Zoom, um, we're even doing group discussions where we kind of do group philosophical debates and discussions and ponder some of those big questions. So check it out, see if it's something you might be interested in. Uh, as I said, I just love to bring more philosophy into our lives and I thought this might be a cool way to do it. Um, whether that's your thing or not, and you're into Patreon or not, I really do appreciate a ton that you listen and check out these episodes. So I appreciate it greatly and I hope you have an awesome day.